We're, we're in the middle of four talks about vision, and I'm the ancient one who's going to tell you the vision. And, uh, and uh, the first week, Bob spoke about the vision is Jesus, and uh, last week I was speaking specifically about what now, what now during this autumn, and uh, next week Joe's going to talk about what's important to us as a church. But today I'm just going to simply talk about who we are, who we are as a church. And uh, if you're joining us at this point, or if you're just sort of emerging from uh, Zoom lockdown and all those kinds of things, uh, it really is the most unusual point in our church's history, uh, short history, since we started. We started 17 years ago. And when you start a church, it does give you a lot of time and facility to really think about what on earth is church for? What is it about? Because we're trying to set something up and, uh, and you're thinking, what, what, is it, what, is it, what kind of thing do we really want to be a part of? What kind of community do we want to bring? And, um, and we are, again, at this point, because we have been so scattered for so long, uh, that we are thinking about what is church for? What is it about? Why does church exist, and why does our church exist? And uh, we've been thinking that through, particularly with staff over the last few months, and we've been um, coming up with some, I guess, some fairly clear ideas about uh, reminding ourselves of things that are not actually rocket science, but are really clearly things that we want to focus on. Um, because church is something that's, you know, is generally fairly incomprehensible to the general public. What on earth are we and what on earth do we do? Um, and I was talking with the 18 to 25s this week and uh, reminding, well, I was telling them about when we started out and we were trying to find a venue we're talking to the manager of the venue, and uh, the manager was a little perplexed about church and what we were asking for, and he said, what kind of church are you? Do you slaughter chickens, was his first comment. And, uh, and, and uh, the, I said the first thing that came out of my head, which was, no, but we do drink the blood of our leader. And, and, th- and he said, oh, that's great. Do come and, you know, use our facility, which we did for about three years. Um, I remember also being at a, a, in the probation office, talking with probation and social workers in quite a big meeting about uh, a prisoner who was coming out and was going to come and join us as a congregation. And um, the meeting hadn't started, and it started with the probation officer swinging around and going, what the hell is Exeter Network Church? And that was like a stunning beginning, and I had to think of an answer. What, what are we? What are we? And uh, I did my best to say what we were. Um, and I don't know what it's like for you when you, t- when you talk with people about, oh yeah, I went to church on Sunday, or I'm a Christian, you say that to your colleagues, and what their responses are. Uh, I, I'm not sure whether it's better or worse if you're a church leader, but I remember having my hair cut, and this w- woman cutting my hair said, you know what you do, and I said, I'm a church leader. It's quite a long pause, and then she said, do you think I'm a sinner? You know, the, the expectation is that the church will provide you with some judgment. And, uh, and uh, we had quite an interesting conversation after that. So what the church is for has often been a conundrum for people outside the church, but also it's sometimes a conundrum for us as believers. And if we went around today and we just said, just think of a phrase, what is the church for? We would have a number of different phrases, I suspect. Uh, and probably, you know, they would all be true. But uh, again, it's good to focus our minds on what, uh, what we're trying to do here. So what is church for? Well, lockdown has pushed the question back to us. 
And so right now, as we emerge in the sunlight after lockdown, kind of blinking in the sunlight, we are reconnecting. Everyone's reassessing and thinking, well, what, what is it for? What have I missed with uh, really not being part of church? And what have I not missed? Do I want to reconnect? And if so, how? What's God doing in this new season? What is he saying to us as a church? And as I said last Sunday, the first step between now and Christmas is to rebuild a community around God. And that means showing up, using our gifts, and loving everyone. But I want to take a sort of a bit more of a bird's eye view and think about why does church exist at all. Um, When I was in my 20s, I was in a band and... Uh, we, we, do, we were doing a long tour, I remember, and I remember we got to Wolverhampton, played a gig in Wolverhampton, and we had had uh, a sound crew from Birmingham with us for the whole tour, and so probably by that time, our songs were drilling a hole in their head, and uh, you know they were doing our best, their, their best to make us sound good. And at the end of the gig, I remember coming, uh, meeting them afterwards, and, I said, and they looked really like pleased, and I said, oh, how was the gig? And they were going, oh, never mind the gig, it doesn't matter about that. Uh, when we were at the back, um, uh, uh, Robert Plant came in. So Ro- if you're not sure who Robert Plant is, he was the lead singer of Led Zeppelin. Not only was he a rock star of kind of interplanetary proportions, but he was also from Birmingham. And they were like, they just couldn't believe that he'd come into the, into the back of the hall. And uh, they looked absolutely stunned as if Jesus had walked in. And they were going, you know... He spoke to me. He spoke to me. And I said, well, what did he say? And he said, all right. You know? <laughs> and honestly, and, they, and so, so the, gig, the gig meant nothing to them. Our gig meant nothing to them because, you know, a, a completely different reality had crashed in to our gig. Uh, and uh, the real deal had come in. And nothing else was ever going to be the same again for them. And, and I just think there's something about uh, what, what, what the church does is in normal everyday life, as life goes on and on and on, and uh, we gather that we're a community where the real deal enters, where Jesus enters by his spirit, where heaven comes to earth. One reality breaks into another and makes everything different. So Jesus taught us to pray didn't he? And that's what we just heard Flo read to us. And he, he taught us to pray and said, um, Our Father in heaven, uh, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. How's it go? On earth as in heaven. Exactly. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And that's the first petition that Jesus gives us. So, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, is connecting us with relationship and with praise. But then the first petition is, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth, where we are, just as it's done in heaven. So Jesus is talking about two dimensions. He's talking about heaven and he's talking about earth. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven and earth. And so the kingdom of heaven is God's dimension, his zone. And it's not up there, although it is up there, but it's also everywhere. And uh, if you like, if you're not, if the kingdom of heaven is slightly conceptual for you, what I want to say is, it's the place where what God wants done is done. So if you think about how well is God's will done in heaven, do you think? Pretty well, yeah. I think he gets by. 
So heaven is where what God wants done is done. And if you read through the Old Testament and the prophets in particular, they would have glimpses of what God's dimension, God's heaven would be like, his kingdom would be like. So Isaiah in uh, chapter 25, he talks about abundance instead of disgrace. And he says, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken. And Micah uh, also trying to describe the indescribable, where God's will is always done, where what he wants done is always, always happens. Uh, he's, he, he describes stuff about no more war and that there will be fruitful work. So when war is over, nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. Sounds good, doesn't it? And no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. And then John in the New Testament, in Revelation, he's also looking forward to the fullness of heaven coming. And he talks about whether, uh, he says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will wipe every tear from their eye. So there'll be no more suffering. Again, where, God, uh, where God's will happens, where God is in action, these glorious things happen. There'll be no more crying, no more pain. The old order of things will have passed away. So in heaven, in, in God's dimension, everyone knows God and is known by him. They experience complete love and healing. There is no injustice, evil, and sickness. Everything is made new. There is fruitful work. There is, there is fruitful work in heaven, in the future, in the fullness of uh, the kingdom of God and joyful life. So that's, that's a, the briefest of sketches of the kingdom of heaven, if you like. And then the prayer is on earth as in heaven. So our dimension is the earth. You know, Adam was formed from the dust, and as the Psalms say, to dust we shall return. We are of the earth, and God breathes his breath into us so that we can be alive. And earth is where... What God wants done is only pretty occasionally done, I would say. You only need to read the news or, frankly, look into our own hearts to know that this is on earth. God's will is occasionally done. And so we're praying that where God's will is always done comes into a place where God's will is rarely done. And that's the prayer that we're asked to pray. And when Jesus walked... His patch of earth, 2,000 years ago, uh, he demonstrated what a human being looked like on earth in whom heaven reigns supreme. So when you look at Jesus, you can see through his words and his actions, you can see that heaven absolutely rules in his life. Where God wants done, or where what he wants done is done. And there are occasional points in Jesus' life where he, where, uh, and particularly towards the end, where he says, not my will, but yours. So he is... He is giving way, he's submitting to the Father because he is doing, he's fulfilling the kingdom of heaven on earth in himself. So if you want to know what God is like, what heaven is like, I suggest you look at Jesus. And at the start of his mission, he announced uh, that heaven would break through onto earth 
that the real thing had arrived. So in Luke 4, he says famously, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And it says every eye in the room was on him. And he says, this is fulfilled in your hearing now, basically, in me. So in Jesus, he's saying, heaven is going to break in on the earth. So he declares it, and then he demonstrates it. Everywhere he goes, he demonstrates heaven on earth. So when he speaks, he speaks with extraordinary wisdom and authority, and everyone is absolutely stunned by his authority. Here is a new teaching, they say, and with authority. He welcomes outcasts with heavenly compassion. He resists injustice with heavenly anger and action. He changes water into wine. He stills storms. He forgives sins. He heals sickness. He drives out evil. And he conquers death. So he's demonstrating what God is like. He's demonstrating what it's like in heaven when God's will is always done. And so the Gospels portray Jesus as the walking embodiment of on earth as in heaven. And then, as you see, uh, towards the end of his life, he hands this over to the 12 who have been with him. And he says, look, I'm sending you out two by two, and you're to go and declare to people, just as I've been declaring, the kingdom of heaven is near you, and then demonstrate it by healing the sick and driving out demons. And they go off, and they come back, and they're rejoicing because they've seen it. You know, they've declared it, and they've seen it happen. And then he continues to, to do that with the 72, a wider group of people. And they go out and they come back and they report to Jesus that they've seen uh, people uh, healed and uh, demons are driven out and the good news has been preached to the poor. And then what happens at the end of uh, Matthew's gospel, he, he then says the words that, are, that come down the ages to us which are go and make disciples of all people, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that, that really means immersing them in the reality of the Trinity and uh, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you to do. So that comes back to uh, doing God's will and doing uh, the will of God, which is done perfectly in heaven and imperfectly at this point on earth. So we were coming to the conclusion that on earth in, as in heaven is a very helpful phrase for us to understand ourselves as the church. And if, you were, if you're here at the beginning of the countdown, it's been on the beginning of the countdown right at the beginning, uh, on earth as in heaven. And uh, it just reminds us that with the help of the Holy Spirit, the church exists to be a community committed to on earth as in heaven. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, and we surely need his help, the church exists to be a community committed to on earth as in heaven. And it works in two ways. It works, one, that the church is called to be a sign of heaven on earth, of God's reality, of the kingdom. So that when a community of Christians are in a town or a city, what, at its best, what should happen is that a whisper goes around the city uh, where people tell one another and say there's a community where people love each other. There's a community where people actually love their enemies, who speak the truth, who are joyful amidst uh, all kinds of suffering. Uh, they help those who are in need. They see miracles happen, and lives are changed for good. And so this whisper goes around the city, and it's actually good news that Christians are in a particular city. 
They might also say, the Christians are a bit weird, but I think I might brave it and check them out. And then when they come and they're part of a gathering of believers, as St. Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, unbelievers then fall down on their face and they say, truly God is amongst you because they experience his presence and they know his power. So Jesus was very clear about this. He, he said, look, you know, by, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. Now, this is a hard calling to be a sign in a town or a city as a community. And as I said, we surely need the Holy Spirit's help to do that. And we're always a work in progress. But where we uh, are able to move towards that in any steps whatsoever, we'll be moving towards the purpose of the church and why we exist. So we're called to be a sign, but also you and I as individuals are called to be agents of God's kingdom, agents of his dimension wherever we go. Partly through prayer, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, that is, that is the prayer that Jesus commands us to pray. But also in action, that everyone, every person in the community, every day, everywhere, is a carrier of heaven wherever you go. You're a carrier of the presence of God. You're a carrier of God's resources. You can access God's resources through prayer. And your mission, should you accept it, is to be an agent of heaven wherever you go. So if you think about your week ahead, where you're going to be over these next few days, if you can understand yourself to be a carrier of heaven wherever you go, then you will find heaven breaking out and the real, the real deal breaking in through you in any situation. However uh, weak you feel, because God is with you and God has made his home in you and he's equipped you. So, this is all fairly conceptual. The kingdom of heaven on earth, the sign, agents, and so on. Just making it personal, it was just uh, lovely to um, be at a baptism today, which uh, Bob took and um, Nathan, who was baptized, had come from, as the Bible says, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son the Father loves. And he'd made quite a quite a journey. And as he, as he had become spiritually alive, all kinds of other things changed in his life. Addiction, debt, separation from family, and a whole bunch of other things. And he told an amazing story to the assembled crowd there today. And it's just a perfect demonstration of heaven coming to his patch of earth and transforming everything. Now, obviously, like all of us, he's a work in progress. But the transformation is what happens when heaven comes to earth. And frankly, you know, uh, that's what I signed up for as a church leader. That's what I love to see. I, lo I love to see it in myself when God changes me and in other people as well. So in the end, it becomes personal, uh, even though when we're, we're trying to take a step back and look at a sort of whole conceptual thing of what the church is for, when you see it in a person you uh, understand its power. So, just want to say a sort of coda to all of that. So, we're thinking about what the church is for. The church is uh, to be a community who's committed to on earth as in heaven. I just want to say a few words about how we at Exeter Network Church 
um, how we do this uh, as best we can. Uh, every church you go to will have its own emphasis. Every church will have its own personality. And we have our own personality. And again, this is something that uh, Joe and I and the staff have been thinking about for a number of months. Um, and what churches can be known for, if you like. Some people get a bit squeamish that churches are, you know, often very different from one another. But, I, you know, people are different. We have, you know, it's, it's good to be, if we were all the same, it would be terrible. So, uh, and the same is with churches, and churches bring different emphases to a town or a city. So, uh, this is what we think we are like and how we do things. And if you've been here for a while, you may recognize it. Uh, I hope you do. But here are three words that have become important to us, and they are participation, celebration, and expectation. Those three things. Let me just say a few words about each one. Participation. We really value high participation. That You become part of the church by taking part, literally. That we know that everyone is gifted, everyone's valued, everyone contributes, that we're not consumers of religious activities, but we're people who contribute. And humanly speaking, a church community is only as good as our contributions together. Again, on Wednesday at Restore the Core, it was really interesting to watch people as we prayed about resisting what has come against the church um, uh, over the last 18 months. And we named a bunch of different things, and we did it in sort of dramatic form. But the way that it, the, 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 what happened was, is that people got up one by one, and they started to pray, uh, resisting, say, isolation that's come against the church, or um, I can't remember, there were a few other things, you know, loneliness and so on. And as people prayed, you could see in them confidence and authority rise. Because basically, they weren't having this anymore, and they were going to resist it. And, and, and it was really fascinating to see. And what high participation does in a church is it increases confidence uh, in being a follower of Jesus in everyday life. Because we're able to do it in the congenial atmosphere of uh, you know, us all being Christians together, it means that we can, we can take what we've learned and the ways that we do things into every avenue and every area of life that we find ourselves. And it was lovely to see confidence and authority rise in people, even as they just said a prayer. So we do, we do emphasize those things. And, um, and I would love that to be, uh, I suppose, what we're known for. I did have a, another church pastor say to me the other day, actually more than the other day, but he said, uh, he said, oh, somebody I met got prayed for in a supermarket by someone else and something amazing happened or whatever. And his only comment was, I bet that, I bet that was one of yours who did that. And, uh, and I said, yeah, actually, I bet it probably was. And there's something about that where people will just take opportunities to participate, bringing heaven to earth wherever they are, and they, and they grow in confidence in that because they participate in it uh, day in, day out in church gatherings and that sort of thing. So participation, celebration. We celebrate what God is doing in people's lives. We celebrate their stories, just as we have done today, earlier. Um, not just the victories, but also where we're hanging on by our fingertips. We celebrate by having parties. Uh, in two weeks' time, there's uh, a Super Sunday where we go out for a day, and uh, we'd love you to... Um, 
uh, sign up for that and come out to Christo, and we will have, it'll be like celebration all day long, all kinds of uh, worship and sport and uh, possibly line dancing, which you can do either in a committed way or an ironic way, it doesn't really matter. Um, and lots of things to eat and drink all day. So that's on October the 10th, and you'll be pleased to know we, are, we look like we are going back for ENC side on March the 18th, which is, frankly, if you've been on weekends away, is a party all the way through, I think. So it is a Christian attribute to have joy uh, amidst all kinds of circumstances. C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven, and he was surely right about that. Participation, celebration, and uh, finally, but not last, as it were, is expectation. That as a community of people, that we will expect, that we expect God to break through at any moment, for heaven to come to earth at any time. You could see it in the life of Jesus in the Gospels. Wherever he goes, he has an expectation that something is going to happen wherever he goes. And so... A blind person will shout at him, and then he'll say to the blind person, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I want to see. And so he says, see, and the man is healed. Um, in the Acts of the Apostles, you can see all the apostles and all the followers of Jesus, they seem to take their opportunities at any moment because they know that God is always wanting to break heaven into earth at any point and to do that through you. And, uh, and so... To train ourselves for that is a really important part of who we are. So participation, celebration, and expectation, uh, that, will, that is what we want to be going for, how we do these things, how we seek to see heaven come to earth. So with that, particularly that thought of expectation in mind, why don't we stand and just ask the Lord to come and... bring his presence to bear in our lives.